Psalm for Peace. Um, I am shamelessly including him to maybe see if I can get some more hits because nothing um, woos the internet like an adorable dog. Um, so he's going to be joining me. He actually sits on my lap most of the time. So he's here through most of the podcast anyway. I'm going to try a new format. Um, when I was thinking about uh, the format for my message, I toyed with the idea of making a video and converting it to a podcast, and I'm going to try that. But honestly, part of my reasoning for not doing that was that I know my video quality is not going to be so hot, and um, I won't get to use my husband's fancy schmancy recording equipment, so the sound is not going to be as good either. Um, so like I said, this is the cabin edition. Welcome to the cabin. I told you that I'm always broadcasting live from the banks of the Turniptown Creek in beautiful North Georgia. Well, we're still here. Um, just doing this um, in a video format instead. Uh, we live in a log cabin on the middle of the woods on the side of the creek. Um, so the it's a great house, but because of all the wood, Filming isn't that easy because it can be a little bit on the dark side, and I don't mean Darth Vader that way. Um, but anyway, so excuse the lack of lighting here. Um, so today I want to talk to you about mindfulness. And interestingly enough, it is something that I specifically said in a previous podcast that I wouldn't discuss. And I changed my mind for a few reasons. The um, main reason is because I had a rough week last week and mindfulness was something that really helped me get through it. So I felt like it's something, hey, maybe I do wanna share that. Um, and then I started thinking about it more that um, my journey with mindfulness has, has been lasting for quite a while and I still, I know it's still nowhere near done. Um, but I wanted to get the message out that it's not necessarily easy um, and you don't need to get frustrated. I think it is a little bit different for each of us and you need to find your own groove with it. Um, I'm still working on that. So I guess the main message I wanted to get out is I wanted to talk to, about mindfulness from the perspective of someone who's not an expert, who doesn't do that for a living, um, who knows it's important, but has honestly kind of struggled with it um, and is still working on that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, just your general introduction to mindfulness. Um, I'm coming at it from a few different angles, and I know that probably the most significant influence on my view of mindfulness is as, as an elementary educator. Um, my view of mindfulness really shifted um, when I became aware of a mindfulness program that was actually started by Goli Hahn. It's run by the uh, Hahn Foundation called Mind Up. It was something I learned about through one of my research students. I teach graduate research and was like, wow, I want to learn more about this. And as I looked into it, I was like, wow, I want to try this. But I was out of the classroom, so I couldn't do that. So I decided to do a mindfulness summer camp. And I did a, a few days day camp. Um, it went pretty well. I've, I've learned a lot about how I should run things. But my understanding of mindfulness is based a lot on that. And that kind of pulled everything together for me. And the way I understand mindfulness is as an awareness of your thoughts and emotions, along with the conscious effort to control them um, instead of letting them control you. Um, and so it mindfulness include doesn't a lot of times I think we associate it with 
controlling negative thoughts, which is true, definitely want to do that, but it's not um, just a matter of that. It's just a consciousness of, of yourself at all times, a self-awareness. Um, and you can, and, and, and one of the most important things I'm going to stress over and over is that in our busy world, in our busy lives, we have to make time for ourselves and mindfulness. Um, and sometimes it can be just something as simple as focusing on your breathing while you're at work or something like that. So it's just something in our busy, busy world that, it, that everybody's kind of needing. Um, so I do want to kind of start from the point of where I started with my elementary students. And actually, I did a mixed age group where um, I worked with students from age five up until 17. So that was a bit of a challenge and, and largely why I would want to change things up a little bit. But um, I think this is a great example. I said, this is a cool thing about video. I can have props. <laughs> um, but this is a jar full of glitter. And if you shake it up, the glitter starts swirling around. Think of this as your brain. And I don't know about you, but on a normal day, this is pretty much what my brain looks like, even, I would imagine, um, even on a good day, my head is constantly swirling with thoughts, um, inner speech constantly going on, um, having a really hard time constantly trying to calm what's going on in the background. Um, sometimes it's related to what I'm doing, sometimes not so much. Um, and it might be a little more accurate to actually have like dirt and rocks in here to be the um, thoughts swirling around. But you know, when you're working with cl kids, glitter always kind of sends a message a little bit better. But anyway, so things are swirling around and the idea with mindfulness is that you're wanting to consciously calm all those thoughts. And they don't necessarily ne are negative, just that when you're taking a quiet moment, I know for myself, I start thinking of my to-do list and things I need to do, and it's hard for me to separate myself out from that. So with mindfulness, that's one of the, the big um, objectives, is not getting rid of the thoughts, but quieting them down and letting them settle, as you can see this settling, um, taking that conscious effort to make them um, settle down to the bottom so that you can be calm and focused. Another thing that um, we talked about when I talked to my students is the functioning of the brain. That's what I really liked about MindUp is that it explains, um, and I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> I'm, th there's no uh, kickbacks on this one for me. I just really liked the, the approach because it was grounded in science and explaining what's going on in our brain. And um, when you think of mindfulness in reaction to negative feelings, which was what I was working through last week, it's good to remind yourself that we function as humans on instinctual levels. And sometimes our instinctual reaction to a situation is not what's best for us and for the people around us. It's just our way um, that evolution has geared us to defend ourselves. Um, and so when we are in a situation where we feel threatened or hurt, our amygdala kicks into action. That's the lower part of our brain that controls our fight or flight tendencies. And um, when you get upset, that kind of flares up. And if you let that do the talking and the thinking for you, you'll probably end up regretting it. So a big piece of mindfulness with kids is teaching them to recognize that, to back away from it, 
um, and get yourself calmed down so that the higher parts of your brain can do the functioning and the thinking and reasoning for you. So just to give you a little scientific background about what's going on. I think that the best way for me to explain mindfulness um, is to talk about my own personal journey with it. Um, it started out quite a few decades ago. Um, when I was 18 years old, I had the wonderful chance to be an exchange student in Japan. And actually, I wasn't a student. I was in a program, and I did an exchange with a family. Um, someone came and stayed with my family for a couple of weeks, and then I went back and stayed with his family in Japan for a couple of weeks. And besides being an 18-year-old in um, an unknown country by myself, pretty proud of myself because I'm an introvert, so that took a, a, a good deal of bravery, um, I also had the unique experience to be staying with a family um, where the mother's job was to teach sado, which is the um, ancient Japanese tea ceremony. Um, so I spent a good deal of my time in Japan immersed in that because I spent most of my time while I was there with her. So I learned quite a bit about it. And, you know, I want to tell you this great story about how I learned the, the uh, art of the tea ceremony and perfected it. No, that's not how the story goes. Um, in Japan, I was in Japan in late July, and the weather is actually similar to how it is here in, in Georgia. So it was really hot, and they don't have air conditioning in most places. Occasionally, restaurants and um, restaurants and stores do, but not in individual homes. So it's really hot, and we're doing this tea ceremony. and And I want to mind you that. It's not like a, a bunch of Southern Bells gathering to have a tea party. It's not that kind of thing, not that fun, loud, Alice in Wonderland thing we kind of think of. It's a very quiet, meditative process, and it can even take hours, um, depending on, on what ceremony you're doing. So I would be sitting there, um, very uncomfortable, because the position is actually not the lotus position. You sit on the floor on your calves. So my legs are aching, I'm hot, I'm sweating, I'm 18 years old, and I'm not thinking this is the most fun thing in the world. But I did know at that time a seed was planted, that something made me go, wow, this is pretty cool, that this is a part of this culture, that, that they're known for their technology um, and their innovation, but at the same time, um, Zen is a way of life. It's permeated into the culture that they take this time to be quiet, to recognize ancient customs. Just really cool thing. But I will not lie. I, I didn't master it. I was, you know, just sitting there gritting my teeth the whole time, grit and bear it, trying to not um, evaporate or have my legs fall asleep and fall over. But anyway, so that was my introduction at 18. Things kind of progressed as I got older. I started um, doing group fitness, and with that, I was introduced to yoga, um, and which I still love to do whenever I have have the opportunity. Um, and it a part of yoga. If you've never been to a yoga course, at the end of each class, there's a time after you've calmed down, your muscles are cooling, that you're laying down and just kind of calming down and quiet listening to your breath, trying to move away from the day's care. And the funny thing is for those moments, I, I mean, I could, I, I loved the actual activity of stretching and moving. And then it came down to that quiet time and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna be a meditator. 
No, my brain was always, I mean, I was calm, I felt good, but my brain was making a grocery list and it just wouldn't stop. So then we'll keep going. So I, I've, I've been doing yoga off and on throughout the years. Um, then I was introduced to the notion of guided meditation. And that's something that I have tried off and on um, and still try. But I'll just be honest that when I try it, I, I don't know. I guess I just can't take it seriously. I hear someone trying to talk me through it, and I'm just maybe I've been an elementary school teacher too long that I just want to giggle and I can't I I, I can't concentrate. And and that's Piper the cat, and she agrees. Um. So anyway, so that didn't really work for me. Um. So it's been a struggle. I've been really trying. I knew this was something I needed because I am an intensely emotional person. Anybody who knows me can verify that fact. And for most of my life, I tended to just constantly react on those emotions. Um, I was the kind of person that if you got in an argument with me, we were going to sit up all night and get through it till we re reached a, an agreement, even if it took three days. Um, and I have, in my older years, realized that sometimes the best thing to do is just to take a step back. And, and part of that is mindfulness. Um, I also know that I can be my own enemy, but sometimes, like I said, my inner speech is just constantly going and going. Um, someone I went to seminary with called that the gossip of the soul, and, and I think that's true, that it's like, you know, self-doubt, worry, all that stuff just going on. And so I've really known that it's been crucial in my life to find a way to turn that off, to step back. And I found a few things over the last couple of years, and so that's why I really wanted to do this video and let you know that that um, you know Headspace it, it's a great app, but it just didn't work for me. Or there are a lot of other great guided meditations, um, and I've gone to meditation and I've been sitting there secretly in my mind going, "Yeah, I'm not meditating. I'm just sitting here trying to get through this." So um, I wanted to share that experience. And then, like I said, it all kind of came together for me last summer when I tried this um, mindfulness camp. And, and I think that's how a lot comes together for me, honestly. Breaking things down for students um, that are at the elementary level really makes me see things in a different way. And so that helped me understand the purpose of what I was doing and not feel so much like this great meditative failure. Um, so, so at any rate, um, I want to talk to you about what I find works for me. I don't have, and it's funny, as someone who does graduate research, I feel like I always have to have empirical evidence for what I'm talking about. I have zero empirical evidence other than this works for me. Um, what I've found with mindfulness is, first of all, probably the most important thing across any way you practice mindfulness is being aware of your breathing. Um, if you stop right now, for example, and pay attention to your breathing, it's probably really shallow. Um, you're not making a conscious effort to control it. And the more you start honing in on that, that's like the easiest way, I think, to be mindful. Um, and it might help you to think of if you've ever been to some kind of fitness class or done weightlifting or something. Our reaction, our natural reaction when we're doing something physically difficult is to hold our breath. And if you're in these classes, they'll tell you, breathe, breathe, you need reminded. And I'm not sure what, what 
happens, that, that that's our in instinctual response, but we have to learn to uh, circumvent that. So first of all, breathing is extremely important, making sure you're breathing in through your mouth, taking deep breaths, and that they're conscious. Um, it's something that I do enough that every now and then my husband will hear me and say, what are you doing? He thinks I'm sighing. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm breathing. And he knows now that that means I'm not being sarcastic while I'm breathing. Of course you're breathing. But that I'm trying to control my breath. Um, and an interesting thing, I read a really great book this um, summer by Eckhart Tolle, um, The New Earth, I think is what it's called. I don't want to be mistaken in that. And he makes the point that just being conscious of your breathing for 20 seconds throughout the day, here and there, can make a bigger difference than sitting and meditating for two hours. And I think it's important to remind yourself of that. That's given me some hope because I have become aware of my breathing and know, especially like even, you know, I teach graduate courses. When I pull up to the school and get ready to go in the building, the first thing I do before I get out of my car is take a few breaths. And I know it sounds corny, but it's something um, just paying attention to our body and, and giving our body what it needs to help us accomplish the things we need to accomplish. Um, so this is what I found. I found that um, you have to find for mindfulness to work, you have to find a right balance of it um, being something that you're comfortable with enough that you kind of can do on autopilot, but something that is difficult enough that it requires a little bit of con uh, uh, concentration. Oh, look at that, that being the word that I've left out. Um, so one thing I read said that you might need to have two things going on in your brain. So a lot of people, when you're starting with mindfulness, will tell you to focus on your breathing, like I've talked about, or just sit quietly, but you know, really focus on it and control it. So that would count as one thing. I do find that I am able to relax sometimes um, when I go down and sit by the creek and I'm listening to the sound of the creek and focusing on my breath, I am able to get it calmed down. Um, I, I have heard people talk about transcendence and meditation. I've never experienced that. I've never been able to totally, completely zone out. That's just something that I've never been able to do. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna stop trying. Um, so that's one thing. You might wanna think of having a couple things going on. I think that for me, painting is a mindfulness activity because um, that's something that I've been doing for ages. I feel comfortable with it. Now, sometimes I'll try a painting that's really challenging and that's not a mindful activity because I can't just shut my brain off. I have to kind of think through it, but I like it because it's a peaceful thing. It's something that I'm comfortable enough that I don't have to think too much but I have to be aware enough that I'm controlling things and thinking about what I'm gonna do next. So I'm not just totally going on autopilot. Um, for you, it might be something different. For example, I have a friend who loves cooking. I do not. It is not anywhere near a mindfulness activity for me. But if it is something you enjoy, that might be a, a place where you can be mindful. Um, because you're comfortable enough with it, you're at peace enough with it, um, that you can kind of step back, but at the same time, it requires just enough attention that you don't totally uh, zone out. Um, so you're more aware um, and can be conscious of your breathing and just all that good stuff. Um, 
And so it, it just needs to be a good mix. For some people, it might be creating music. Um, or for some people, even exercise. I know for me, um, I love to walk. And walk can be meditative um, and calming. I don't love to run, so running would not be a mindfulness activity for me. But if I'm walking, I'm in control enough, I feel comfortable enough, I don't feel like I'm gonna run out of breath and keel over. Um, so I'm able to focus on my breathing and just kind of come to a different kind of piece. Piper agrees, she also prefers walking to running. Um, and you could tell if you saw her body. <laughs> um, and the one thing I do want to mention, well, you might be thinking, well, what about watching TV? And I love that Eckhart Tolle explains that when you're really wanting to reach a, a level of mindfulness, you're trying to go above the chatter that's going on in your brain. But when you're watching TV, you're going below the, the chatter, that you're not rising above it, you are just completely completely shutting yourself off and not only that you're opening yourself up to whatever messages are coming in and you're just not even processing them the same way if you were totally aware um, so that is something different now I will say I watch um, I try to watch I try to watch I usually watch about an hour TV a night um, I don't have cable but I make a conscious decision to do that I've always said TV is like chewing gum from the brain for the brain and everybody needs that everybody needs to just chill and and step back and so I'm not saying that that you know you need to be human you need to do those things but that's not a mindfulness activity that's a relaxation activity that's a little bit different mindfulness is like a step up um, so as I'm closing I want to talk about a few things one thing I didn't mention is another form of, of uh, mindfulness meditation um, called passage meditation and it is something that I tried with without success um, and like so many things that I've tried that that route and in passage meditation which a lot of people find a, as a great tool um, there are books out there I'm actually going to read a passage from one of them um, at the end of this but in passage meditation you memorize a, me a meaningful passage to you and as you're breathing as you're quieting yourself you um, repeat that passage over and over in your brain. So the reason it didn't work for me is I can't memorize anything. Um, and it's actually kind of a cool experience because I was always really frustrated as a kid. We had to memorize our timetables. I remember in middle school, oh, it was horrific. We had to memorize the Bill of Rights and stand up and say it or, or something we had to do and recite it. And besides being an introvert and nervous, I also knew I'm not gonna remember this. And, and now in my adult life, I'm realizing I just really can't memorize things because I've spent the entire summer trying to memorize the prayer of, um, of St. Francis of Assisi and I can't. Um, but what I have found is one way I can be met, uh, uh, mindful is to have a copy of it and to be reading as I'm doing it. Another thing I cannot believe I didn't mention this, that ironically, the mindfulness activity that has proven to be the best for me has been a total accident. 
Um, I made the decision that I'm going to fold a thousand paper cranes for peace. Um, this the idea came from reading the book, wonderful book, Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes, um, to my fifth grade students, gosh, like 23 years ago, my first year teaching. Um, and I have so far folded, I think I'm at 335. And that has proven to be the most effective mindfulness technique I've tried because folding the cranes, some of them are behind me, is just that right mix of needing to be present and needing to concentrate on what I'm doing, but also being comfortable enough to focus on my breathing um, and to step back a little bit. So um, it's been easy well, I wouldn't say easy, but at first I was like, gosh, I'm crazy, a thousand, that's a lot. When I got to 30, I thought I had done a great job. And now it's just kind of happening um, because it is something that it feels natural. Um, one thing I've done, um, this is just a little example of mindfulness. I have a rule for myself. I will not let myself turn on my phone in the morning until I've folded five cranes. Um, and at this point, that takes probably about 10 minutes. Um, and, and, and obviously, folding paper cranes might not be your thing, but whatever your thing is, um, if it is a, a, a regular meditation, if it's a passage meditation, if it's just laying on the couch and focusing on your breathing, and I think that's important. You don't have to be sitting in the lotus position. If that doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Whatever that is, starting your day with that um, is huge. And we have to make a conscious effort. You know, I work online. My email is how I stay connected to everything. And once that thing is on, it's on. So I think it's important to take time in the morning to, to not be on. Um, and the thing I want to close with is that I know that some people get a little nervous um, that, that mindfulness and meditation has kind of a spiritual um, aspect to it. And yes, it certainly does. Um, and the thing is, though, it, it's not in any way trying to espouse any one religion. I want to give you, a, because I'm an interfaith minister, I feel like I have to give you a little bit of the, the spiritual background on, on it. Um, and, and one thing I want to do is clear up an understand, a misunderstanding uh, about Buddhism. Um, and Buddhism is often misunderstood. It is something where it is a philosophy that can fit in with other religious practices. That's what makes it so awesome. Um, Buddhists don't worship Buddha as a god. Buddha was a human um, who was awakened. And so Buddhism is, a, and the Eightfold Path is a way of life, and a lot of it is related to uh, mindfulness. But the cool thing is it's entirely possible to practice those Buddhist principles and still be Christian or still be in another faith. So I think that's pretty awesome. Although certainly you can do all this without any kind of religious um, infusion at all. The other thing I want to mention is that I did mention yoga um, in the past and then uh, mindfulness also comes from yoga which is a branch of hinduism and one thing i should point out about hinduism hinduism is unique it is the oldest religion um, in the world 
but it's actually an umbrella term for a lot of other little, little religions. Um, well, I don't mean to say little, but different religions. So Hinduism can be practiced very differently amongst um, Hindus. So there are huge variances in it. Um, but the one uniting factor of Hinduism is that Hindus believe that there are multiple paths to the divine. And so with that being said, you can practice the principles of yoga and still have another um, faith tradition intertwined with it. Um, in fact, that's how yoga kind of came about. Um, one of the yoga principles is that some people are able to experience the divine through physical activity. And I think a lot of you would agree with that. So that's really what that's about. However, you when you're practicing yoga, the physical aspects of it, there's not conversation and you're, you're moving through the um, asanas and it, it's a matter of moving your muscles. So it can be, you can, I guess my point being, you're not in any way, shape or form um, denying your faith if you're infusing things from other faiths and at the same time it can be completely um, a-religious at the same time too. So um, I just wanted to give you kind of a background on that. And what I'm going to close with is actually a religious um, reading. It's one of my favorite prayers um, and that is my, one of my favorite things I think about being an interfaith minister is that I get to read all different kinds of spiritual texts and um, find true words in all of them and find similarity in all of them. Um, and I'm going to close with the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. This is actually something I've started reading and repeating as I'm folding my cranes um, because I just love it. It really speaks to me. Um, and I actually had a really cool uh, class um, from a Franciscan monk while I was in seminary that just really reached me. And, um, and so that's why I'm doing that. But I'm also kind of closing with this because I wanted to clarify my point that this is something I tried and didn't work. And so I just kept trying other things and other things and I was I able to find a way to infuse it into a, a, a mindfulness practice. So with that, I'm gonna close. Um, and this comes from a book um, and I don't want to mispronounce the name by Eknath Iswaran, who is an expert on passage meditation. So it's something you might want to check out. But anyway, this is the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, which really I think embodies um, my own personal beliefs and the message I'm trying to send out with the teacher of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to the self that we are born to eternal life. Have a great week, and I hope to see you next week. Oh, of course, Jack has to say goodbye. Adios.